Yo, welcome to Voice Acting Up, a podcast where I interview working voice actors who are working their way up. I'm Sean Rohani, and if you'd like to get involved and see some fun extra content, please check out the Voice Acting Up Facebook page. Okay, enough shameless plugging. Today's guest is the incredibly talented and refreshingly open Olaya Mountjoy. He's a really talented voice actor on commercials, promos, and video games, but he also does a lot of motion capture or mocap and pcap work. He has tons of great insights, so how about I stop talking and uh, we do this? I like to get started. By hearing from you, what your favorite things you've worked on, or a favorite character that you've worked on, is? Oh yeah, I mean, there's there's enough that it's probably not worth going into each individual one. Maybe 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 my favorite ones are like a Proto Angelo from uh, Devil May Cry. Okay. Um, or um, I, I did the. Uh, these evil twisted characters mm-hmm. in uh and in, in other video games that that are um heavy and and really we're down there okay. it's actually it's incredibly vocally stressful more than anything mm-hmm. but they're fun because it, it brings out a side that i just it's like it's a it 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 hovers over an aspect of who i am mm-hmm. but it's not it's it's no it's nowhere near my everyday dude Right. You know, <laughs> so when I come out and do these other characters, I feel just like I can play. I'm just free to play. Mm-hmm. That and that feels really good. And when it feels good, it's fun to do. And when it's fun and you're free, it's just it kind of flows. The ones that are harder for me are having to be really precise. Hmm. Um, like you were mentioning a little bit earlier, ADR or um, um, dubbing or something. Yeah. I, at first, that was very hard for me because it was so precise, or or like promo, very precise mm-hmm. work. But I've come to learn to love it mm-hmm. because I have that type of approach. I like being very, very precise. But at first, when it's when it, when things are have to be exact, it's hard. And when it's hard, you're frustrated. And when, right. it, when you're frustrated, it sucks. <laughs> so, um, but I but I love. I love being able to take get to that place where you can just be free mm-hmm. and 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 just kind of kind of riff and get into the flow state. Totally, and and I think man, that was <laughs> I want you to do that that little sample for us again. That was amazing. <laughs> but um, yeah, I think especially with some of the darker roles, it's so fun to to be in that flow state and just play and and not worry about how silly you look or whatever, and just get as dark as you can. And like, there's. I've said this before, but there's you can get broader with some of those characters. For me, what's hard is sometimes with like you know the heroic characters uh, that might not be as funny or as dark or sinister. Like it's just a lot more subtle. So trying to find ways to sort of stand out and give depth to the character is harder when it's it's a good guy, you know, and they don't have outrageous quirks. Yes, um, yes, I totally get that. Yeah, and then for you know with a precision. I, I've been pretty good with dubbing and that sort of thing, but for me, the challenge is like articulate characters because I'm just like a natural mumbler, you know. Uh, uh, like I yeah. got that note a bunch for a recent uh, dubbing session that went great, but sometimes they'd be like, "Can we pick that up? Just enunciate a little bit more." I'm like, "Damn it!" <laughs> yes. Um, yeah. yeah, I've got the uh, I've got the problem of being very clicky. Hmm. In fact, I enunciate probably too well. Hmm. In terms of, I mean. 
when it comes to promo and everything has to be very crisp like that, it works. But when you're right. trying, when you're doing a character, it's there is some natural slur, mm-hmm. you know. But it can't be too slurry, right? But it gotta be slurry enough that it's real. Yeah, it's such a <laughs> fine line that, of being being real, but the polished version of that real that um, I, we all have, you know, different aspects of that to work on. And mm-hmm. that's why I mean, that's why I'm an, uh, a rabid fan of podcasting. That's why I've listened to every podcast, every episode of your podcast. That's I just amazing. try to. Thank you so I much, to, by the way. It's, thank you. It's my pleasure because I learned so much. And mm-hmm. uh, there's so much to learn. Mm-hmm. And there's so little time and energy that I'll just pop it on. Mm-hmm. You know, when I'm cooking food or uh, getting in the shower or driving in the car. In fact, that's actually kind of how I, how I learned to cope with L.A. living. Because hmm. so much of it is, is commuting. Right. You know, and... Um, I can be a little tight wound sometimes. Mm-hmm. Most times, you know, my brothers will tell you I'm, I'm a tight wound person. Right. So I have to learn how to relax mm-hmm. and be um, tranquilo mm-hmm. and be chill. So getting in the car and just putting on a podcast and knowing that I'm going to be smarter when I get to point B, mm-hmm. um, it helps me just still be able to be aware of my surroundings, but like feel like I'm learning, you know? Right. And I always come away with, with something, one little gem. You might have to mine through a bunch of rocks, but I'll come away with something, you mm-hmm. know, and be like, wow, cool. I'll put that in my bat belt and be ready to use it, hopefully, whenever it comes up. Exactly. Yeah. And, you know, I just recently got a reminder about the commute because a lot of, obviously, since COVID, a lot of the sessions have been remote. But um, I recently went to a studio that thankfully was taking all the right safety protocols they were on the list and everything um and it went well and i felt safe there but uh right. there was like an hour plus commute there that <laughs> is an hour longer than the zero commute of remote sessions but right. um so yeah podcasts definitely help with the drive and that sort of thing um so and part of the one of the things that i love about you too is that you have we'll get into this later but you have the mocap background mm. so before I get into that, because that's something new that I don't think I've had a guest really talk about yet, um, cool. I would like to get into your origin story. You yeah. mentioned brothers already, but uh, where are you from originally? Yes, my origin story. I'm I'm originally from Colorado. Okay. But, um, I mean, I was born and pretty much raised there, but we moved all over. Hmm. I mean, we, we, we moved a lot, so much so that it actually was really difficult during my developmental stages in terms of confidence and, mm-hmm. and building that that network where you know who you are, you know your, where you fit in, you know what your skills are, you know what you're good at. So that's kind of a little further into my origin story. I, like I said, I was born in Denver and then we moved to Boulder. Crunchy, <laughs> crunchy Boulder. Boulder okay. was a great place though, you know, if all the places to have to kind of start going. Right. Um, Boulder was great. And I kind of came out of the womb a mimic I would emulate sounds mm-hmm. even before, even before like really I was conscious. So maybe when I was two or one and the, my mother would tell stories about uh, an ambulance going by and I'd be like, Woo, oh, wow. you know, I would, I would, um, I would mimic the sound mm-hmm. and I have, I, I still do that. I'll still hear something and, and do it. Just, just, there's an impulse to do it, mm-hmm. but I didn't, I didn't learn that that was something I could do until much, much later. So, you know, obviously I'm taller than most people. I'm six foot five. So, okay, right. and I come from a family of jocks. So, um, I grew up being a jock, even though I was way more 
way more in the realm of a creative mm -hmm. um, person rather than the sciences or academia or I was much more into the arts. I was not a good student. I was, I was a horrible student. <laughs> <laughs> that's, I mean, that's like a common element, I feel like, with creative types because the, the education system is not a one-size-fits-all thing, unfortunately. Uh, yeah, and it has a way of making kids growing up feel like they're less than when really they're not. It's just they're not being... Uh, you know, they're not being catered to by the education system. Yes. I mean, there's that, um, what's that Einstein quote where you, um, giving a fish a bicycle or so, something like that, yeah. where it's like, they're, they're, if, if they're not good at that, they're not going to be good at that. Their right. intelligence probably lies somewhere else. And mine, mine certainly did. Mm -hmm. I mean, I had, I had, um, I've never been diagnosed, um, with anything like, um, dyslexia or, mm -hmm. ADHD or something like that, but I almost certainly have them yeah. because I, I, I could not focus mm -hmm. unless it was on something I really, really liked. And, oh, that, mm -hmm. and, and, I, and I discovered that um, probably in high school because, um, I mean, I almost, I almost flunked out of grades, man. I'm telling you, it was, <laughs> I was right on the <laughs> edge. In fact, probably if I hadn't gone to like a private Christian school, I probably would have flunked. They'd have been like, you can't, you got to learn how to do this, this math, son. Right. You got to learn this. And by the time I did get to a public school, it was like, wham, mm -hmm. I got, I got slapped silly. Man. But anyways, I made it to high school and, um, and one of, and it was an English class. One of the, one of the um, things that we had to do was a project that we wanted. And I, I remember choosing like a radio drama. And I pulled together a handful of friends and um, I did real time sound effects on like a tape deck, you know, oh, like nice. if we walk into like a, a diner or something like here's the clinking plates or um, we're outside. Here's a couple of honking horns and cars driving by. Oh, my God, dude, I loved it. <laughs> I was 100 percent on. I was like tunnel vision. <laughs> and I remember being like, wow, I've never felt like that in school before. But it still hadn't clicked yet for me. Mm -hmm. Like, you should do this. This right. is something you should do. And me and um, my brothers, I've got three brothers, of which I'm the eldest, and we One lived in a cul-de-sac. Yeah. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. of, of all boys? Yep. I got a twin brother and an older brother who's also a giant. He's 6'6". Six, six. <laughs> oh, dude. Trouble. That play, you guys must have had trouble all the time. I apologize to my parents every day. <laughs> yes. Yeah. It was a problem all the time for us. <laughs> somebody's hurt. This is broken. Somebody's missing. Somebody mm -hmm. got shot with a BB gun. It was always <laughs> something. Yep. <laughs> so we lived in a cul-de-sac, and we had, like, a couple other family friends of, of kids around the same age, and we, we would give each other adventures. Hmm. So it would be, we, And we'd always be something like futuristic cops or Navy <laughs> SEALs that went AWOL. It was always something that was like... You know, some because some, Universal Soldier and shit like that was what was coming out. We were just gobbling that up, <laughs> and uh, it was like um, you know role playing games, but with we we were the action figures. So we would, and I did this well past when I should have. It was I'm sure it was some <laughs> some developmental thing. Like I was putting on like purple camo <laughs> and like awesome. duct taping um, walkie talkies to my face. It, <laughs> it was we were pretty much all in. And if when I was doing schoolwork, I was down in, in my room in the basement, like making um, costumes out of duct tape and cardboard. <laughs> I was all in. It was, it, I was totally about that and not at all about school. Mm -hmm. I actually got um, expelled from, from school because 
we for the first time in my high school we they had a film class mm-hmm. and we were allowed to like make um projects and we were all we were already doing that kind of thing in the cul-de-sac so i was all about it we were, we were ready to go and then there were a couple other kids in school who also did this so we were merging forces i'm going to make like you know the beginnings of this really incredible film kind of based first time film based um society in boulder mm-hmm. and i had this pellet gun and i brought it to school and some uh some teen mom because we had a teen mom program in the basement saw me mm-hmm. reported me oh, no. and when we were done with class we were like walking back to our our uh, lockers and the cops are running in with their their guns drawn and we we're like oh somebody's <laughs> somebody's in trouble <laughs> And then we looked at each other and we're like, oh, dude, we got to hide this pellet gun. And we like stuffed it in another friend's um, locker. Long story short, (laughs) I'm sitting in class and like the vice principal comes up, looks at me and points at me and goes, come here. You're coming. Oh, no. Went to the principal's office, blah, blah. It was it was almost a huge suit, but I got suspended. I wasn't expelled. I was suspended for bringing a gun to school. And of course, um, you know. Um, Columbine, which happened in Colorado, was just a few years later. Oh wow! So it was it was really a, an emerging problem there, mm-hmm. and I understand it now from this side. But then I was like, "Come on! I mean, this is not even a, fu- and it wasn't even working yeah. at the time. It wasn't like, anything malicious. A- like it was something you were doing because you were excited about this project. It was a prop, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. But okay, so I'm suspended. I can't play basketball. Oh no! And we were we were going to the state finals and blah blah it was a big deal because my family's all about sports and mm-hmm. i was i was the jock and i didn't but i never really identified with that so i wasn't a thespian mm-hmm. so my i remember my mother took me to go see one of our school plays high school plays and they were doing um singing in the rain hmm. and i mean it was a high school production so it was probably good but it was a high school production mm-hmm. how <laughs> how really amazing could it be but i was blown away Wow. I saw my peers singing and dancing and acting. And I was like, what is this? This is incredible. I was really inspired, way more than I thought it would be. Did you have any friends in that, uh, in yeah. that performance? I, okay. I mean, not close friends, but people that I knew. Mm-hmm. I knew these people. And they were doing this, yeah. you know? So that I think that clicked a tick. But still, there wasn't like, you should do this. So I went to college, even though I probably should have just gone into the arts. Mm-hmm. You go to college. It's what you do. And that's, right. you know, and I understand it's a privilege. So I, um, I look at it from that perspective. But I also feel like if I could go back and do it again, I would tell my younger self, find out what you love and go for that. Mm-hmm. And college was not it. It was more academia. Right. But I found a way. They had a, they had a, a the first time ever also a film program. So that's what I studied. Okay. I studied that. Uh, and when I got out, I was just doomed and depressed. I had this horrible relationship I was in. I was kind of as at a real low. Mm-hmm. And I just didn't know who I was or what I wanted or what I was going to do. I was just lost. Yeah. I was about 22, 23, something, early 20s. Just, and I, and this, is, this is about the time everybody should be going through this kind of thing, a real existential crisis. Who yeah. am I? What do exactly. I do? Because for the first time in your life, there's no like semester or class to go to next. Like It's a blank slate, which can be daunting, along with, obviously, like you mentioned, um, relationship troubles and other things that factor in. Yeah, it's tough. Yeah, just emerging as an adult. Mm-hmm. So I remember sitting in, a, um, my girlfriend at the time was still going to college. 
uh, City College in San Francisco. So I had moved to San Francisco by then. We had moved, I had moved all, we lived in Vancouver and Montana. We lived wow. a lot of places. But now I had moved to San Francisco at this point to be with my girlfriend. Mm-hmm. And you don't, hear me when I say, you want to find love in San Francisco. You don't want to go there for it. Hmm. <laughs> it always ends badly. <laughs> but if you find it there, it's a glorious place, I hear. Mm-hmm. Anyways, I'm sitting in this, in this uh, library, trying just like, just lost, just floating through space like, like Zod in that hmm. Superman movie, just, just going. Right. And I remember um, just being like, who are you? And, the, and all I could come up with is I'm a storyteller. And I was like, I don't even, what does that even mean? What does it mean? I was like <laughs> right. frustrated with myself. Mm-hmm. Looking back, I'm like, that was it. That's all I needed. That's right. all I needed to hear. And if I could start hearing myself those little whispers like that, I, could, I, could, I would have been able to start putting together. I was reading this book at the time called... Um, it was a Terry Brooks. It was one of the Terry Brooks books. Um, he, he was a big fantasy writer. My brother, one of my brothers turned me on to it. And uh, I remember my, my then girlfriend had gotten one of those new Dell computers and they had a, a, a microphone built in. Hmm. So you could like press record. I was like, whoa, that's crazy. And so I would read while I was waiting for her in her dance class. What else was I doing besides just wallowing and who am I and what am I right. going to do? Um, I started playing. I would, I would, read these characters. I remember like one of them was named Alanon or um, um, the Bremen, the shade Bremen. And I would talk, you know, and I'm sure it was all over the top and just all over the place. But I had an impulse to do that. So flash forward, that relationship ends in a nuclear meltdown, nothing short of Chernobyl. And I end up realizing <laughs> I got to, if I want to do this, because I was taking a lot of, um, classes in theater in San Francisco where there's okay. there more of a, a community there for that. Mm-hmm. So I was studying um, Stanislavski's system, which ultimately became, kind of became the method or different things. But it, this was like the core thing that um, Stanislavski taught. So I learned some like some traditional classical um, acting. Sense memory and that sort of thing. Yes. And what what if like what would you do if this if you were in this situation mm-hmm. now? And, and now, what would your character do? And being able to kind of like build on layers like that. But much, much of the study was like etudes, which is French for study or, or improv. Mm-hmm. Improv became huge. I'm sure I'll talk about that later for me. And I know you have a lot of improv background. Yeah, um, that'll be fun to chat about. Yeah. So, so I had some classical um, training, mm-hmm. but there was not much. There was not a lot of film. And I thought, I thought it needed to really go for, for on-camera acting. Mm-hmm. So it's like, if I'm going to do this, I got to migrate south of the birds and go to L.A. So that's what I did in about 2006, 2005, 2006. I was like, I got to go. Oh, wow. Yeah. So I came and um, as I, when I got to town, I actually, we, I kind of merged back up with one of my old friends who kind of was a, a cul-de-sac buddy back mm-hmm. in the day. Oh, dude, you're in L.A. too. Oh, my gosh. Oh, you're doing music also? We should form a band because we did a lot of music back then also. Okay. It was uh, all creative Did you play an stuff. instrument or? Yeah, I played guitar. Okay, cool. I did a little keys and then I was the vocalist. Hmm. We, I mean, we drew um, comic books. I would do anything artistic I could to get away from having to study fractions and mm-hmm. dissecting diagrams and sentences, anything, you know? <laughs> right. So... It was my old homie. We were back. So we, we, we sparked up a band. 
the band, you're getting the band back together. And it was great, man. It was great. Um, you know, we, we had a good like six, five, six years of going hard and writing music in a very improvisational method mm -hmm. and um, playing gigs around town at the Roxy and doing the whole circuit, doing wow. everything. Cool. You um, took it that far. That's awesome. Because yeah. I mean, I, I did a lot of the same things as you, like just oh. anything creative. I, I played bass guitar. I, I made like a little unofficial band with some friends. But aside from playing at some house parties, we never like really did a circuit or anything like that. So that's pretty cool. I mean, it, it's all consuming and it takes mm -hmm. everything. Just like any other artistic endeavor, it right. requires everything of you. And uh, I had, a, I had a, a neighbor across the street um, her name was C.C. Parsons. She's since moved, but she was, um, she claimed she was the descendant of Graham Parsons. And so she was kind of into the like music scene and mm -hmm. um, kind of a character that seems like she'd also belong out of Boulder also, kind of like huh. real spiritual. Mm -hmm. Not that there's anything wrong with that. Just that's the character she was. Sure. So is Boulder and, like the, like Colorado's Topanga basically? Uh, <laughs> yes. Or like mm -hmm. California's Berkeley. Okay. Right. Right. Got it. Like, you <laughs> Say know. Say no more. Yeah, yeah. Okay, good. So, um, and this was after probably we had a, a, a long recording sessions. So I was probably like extra raspy because we are we're doing a lot of singing. Mm -hmm. And she and she was like, you know what? You should do voiceover. Hmm. And I was like, I, nah, I think I'm good. And she's like, no, no, I know somebody. I'm going to take you into their office. And, and she brought me into this guy. I don't even, I don't even know who, who he was to this day. Hmm. He was, we, I've lived in, we lived in a, a place in Hollywood. It was the jam house, you know, mm -hmm, right. up the street was this guy's place. She brings me into this little uh, office and, uh, and, you know, it's one of these guys, you know, like, oh, <laughs> it's a little C.C. Parsons bringing in some other kid, right? Oh, what? <laughs> great. Uh, just bring me another dry fish. And I was, mm -hmm. and I was just like, uh, I, <laughs> I don't, I don't know what what I'm doing here. And she's like, yeah, you look, you got, you got a demo, kid? I was like, no. There's nothing we can do then, is there? Come back when you got a demo. And I was like, okay, I think I'm good. You know, uh, peace. I'm, I'm all about the music, man. I'm out. Hmm. So we, I went did that music for another couple of years. And then the band broke up, hmm. as they do, for all the, all the reasons a band does. Internal arguments. Just life, even, like, you know people yes. starting families maybe the stress sort of yes mm -hmm. yeah we weren't getting any younger mm -hmm. and it was like what are we going to take the show on the road we're going to go tour i mean like it's 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 tough it's really tough right. it's tough to make a living doing that how do you make money making music yeah and so then i and so when the band broke up i was again i was just lost i'm like oh man what, what am i what am i what am i doing mm -hmm. but i had accrued all this um gear and i was like and i had was t taking all these vocal lessons and I was like well the journey of a thousand miles I guess and so I I called up a friend who um was like I know you do some voiceover and she did a lot of radio she had that radio personality you know the mm -hmm. radio personality uh, it wasn't it wasn't commercial it wasn't it was it was very announcery um, right. but she had that sweet um honey husky smoky voice hmm. so mm -hmm. 95 5 you know yeah, she sounded great, but it was um, but she was taking to learn how to get out of that. Okay. So she sent me to Bill Holmes, the voiceover doctor, hmm. and that's where I started, man. In 2012, I wow. was like, um, okay, I, and I showed up and I did his intro class, and instantly knew how hard I sucked. <laughs> I mean, usually it takes me my ego a while to be like, no, man, you're really that bad. But I really mm -hmm. was. I really, because. 
I had already gotten it in my head, probably from all these previous experiences, that it was about the sound of my voice. Right. Not the acting. Mm-hmm. And not the living character from within. And that's the single, single biggest lesson mm-hmm. for me as a performer. Whether it's voice acting, whether it's mo- mocap, pcap, on camera, stage, it's mm-hmm. all acting. It's, and so you have, to be, you have to be authentic and you have to be believable. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I mean, I struggle with this myself sometimes, even now. I, I know that intellectually, and it's all about the acting. And, and anything I've ever booked, it's because of the acting. But yet, sometimes you can't help, especially if you have headphones on while you're auditioning, which I always try to keep, you know, one of them off. But, uh, like, I'll stop myself in the middle of a line because I'm like, no, I can make that sound better. And then, like, when I listen back as I'm editing that audition, I'm like, oh, wait, that's a good take. Wait, why did I stop in the middle? What? You know, um, I do the instead same of just thing, following man. the impulse, yeah. I do the same thing. Focusing on the acting, yeah. uh, not the sound, yeah. Yeah. Um, so you have, I mean, there are questions I would ask and follow-up questions, and, and you've knocked all of them out uh, <laughs> with with that amazing story. But uh, I'll backtrack a tiny bit, because yeah. um, you mentioned you saw that play, that high school play, right. and, and you were kind of blown away. Yeah. Did you ever do... From that point on, did you ever do anything, you know, at school, drama, anything like that? Or um, did you not take those courses until you went to San Francisco? That's right. I didn't do any performance in in my academia, mm-hmm. which is which is for me, which is why it was a real failure for me in terms of like, why, why didn't I do that? That's what I loved. Mm-hmm. But I but. I just wasn't able to be honest with myself to be like, yeah. this is what you love. And, and it's, it actually has taken many more iterations of, so like after, with, after the band broke up, I was working actually as a general contractor to pay the bills. Oh, wow. And I had learned to do this in Colorado growing up. So I knew mm-hmm. kind of the code. I knew how to talk to inspectors. I knew what good work looked like. I knew how to do it. Mm-hmm. And um, so I, I was actually remodeling a building uh, an apartment building in Hollywood and living in just like a dilapidated, like everything would been torn down to the, to the bones, just, mm-hmm. you know, just the studs. And I, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm in a band, man. So I was like living the life. Ultimately I got to kind of move into like the finished product, which was great. But you know, then 2008 hit and, and the stock and everything crashed. And so that project mm-hmm. kind of went away. So by the time 2012 it hit, everything was had kind of dried up for me. Mm-hmm. So I was like, what am I going to do? Another skill I had picked up along the way that I'd learned in, in San Francisco was bartending. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, I got to go back to work and I got to do something that um, gives me my time in the day to study and ultimately mm-hmm. record auditions. While by the twilight, I assume my vampire cape and fangs mm-hmm. and go into the belly <laughs> of the beast in downtown Los Angeles and sling drinks to the mm-hmm. undead. And that's what I did for many, many years. But you know, I, so I kind of ebbed and flowed and dipped in and out of being a performer. And it wasn't until I, like everything had crumbled again that I was like, but this is what you love. Look, you can do, you could do something else that's safe and it's going right. to crumble and you're going to be miserable. If you choose something that you love and you really just, no matter what happens, it's what you love to do and you want to do it. You're going to have some amount of fulfillment from that. Absolutely. And uh, that reminds me of something that Jim Carrey said. I don't know if you've heard this about him. Uh, He said that his dad was the funniest person he'd ever met. And really, if he'd pursued his passion, he would have been a greater comedian than Jim Carrey became. 
but he ended up, I think, going into accounting and picking the safe job, you know, a corporate job that he could provide for his family. And then sure enough, after some time, they ended up laying him off and, and the whole family was kind of almost homeless for a while. And they all had to work you know, odd jobs as security guards or whatever. So if, so what he said was, if you might fail doing something you don't like to do, you might as well try and possibly fail at something that you do love to do. Exactly. It gave me enough perspective to be like, I mean, I had this happen throughout my life. Mm -hmm. You know, you want to go do something else or, you know, are you going to be forced to study math or do you want to do this play? You know, and like right. you, you you asked earlier, did, did I ever do any plays in school? I never did any plays in school. It wasn't until later when I was in San Francisco that I that I did David Mamet plays, did a lot of Shakespeare, and was just like, Phew. I mean, I just loved it. I just loved it. And mm -hmm. and um, my my soul had had found a, a home. It's found its place. Mm -hmm. It's found its foothold. And it was and it didn't make it easy. It didn't make it comfortable. But it was, but it was a knowing, and that gave me right. the confidence to know. Look, this might this might end up belly up. I mean, this might be this might go completely sideways. But, just, but look, everything else goes sideways. My relationships, other careers, all kinds of things in life go sideways. But but I love doing this, and that will be a reward and on it to itself, and give me the the gusto to get through the what ultimately have been trying demanding years in terms of learning the craft especially mm -hmm. of voiceover acting is hard but voiceover is so vacuous of everything else you climb into right. a booth it is all about your living experience it's all about your imagination it's all about and then you have the technique on top of that like not popping your plosives and not going off access and mm -hmm. sometimes having to have diction and you know things that things that you can pick up along the way but there's absolutely no substituting are you believe are you behaving believably under these given circumstances yeah absolutely there's no you can't hide behind anything else either uh whether it's a look or whatever it's it's definitely a different muscle i mean it's not like it's it's just different. It's not necessarily way harder than on camera because I will be the first to tell you it's hard for me to memorize stuff. Um, yeah, that's hard. But yeah, so when you moved down to L.A., that was after you'd taken some theater classes. I'm assuming it was it was to um, to pursue acting and yep. then music kind of uh, came along afterwards. Right. But at that time, voiceover was still not uh, on the agenda. That's right. So. Was your goal to continue, you know, performing in plays or maybe work on film and TV? Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I get, did some I did some TV when I got here um, okay. and I did a did a short film in that first year. I mean, it was just typical L.A. landing, you know, like crash mm -hmm. into your dude's couch and and yeah. <laughs> and and be like, oh, man, I got to get my my shit together. I guess I better get some headshots and pull together my resume and start going out on cattle calls. And was just right. like, wow, I am, I mean, and, and I'm just a, look, I'm another white dude. And in days past, that might've been a great thing. Um, and it, not that it's a bad thing, but I'm just, a, I'm, I'm an ordinary thing. There's a million of me out there. And the fact that I was a little taller makes me different and not in a good way. Kind of like mm -hmm. when I was young, um, when we moved everywhere, I was like the lightning rod, literally of like, if anything is different about you, you're the one who's getting picked on. Right. So like as a kid, I had to learn how to develop, um, how to kind of introduce myself, who I am, and and I for a lot of a lot of me, it did be, learn how to tell jokes, mm -hmm. 
learn how to become kind of a jokester huckster because it got me accepted, you know? Yeah. But I am a much more serious person. There's a very funny, silly side to me, but I think m more, I'm a, a more of a serious person. And that's why I'll mm -hmm. play more villain roles or, or right. serious, more interactive games kind of things, um, as opposed to like silly and, um, mm -hmm. and, and not, I would love to do those. I would love to do them, but I, but mm -hmm. that's what's closer to home for me is, um, sinister and dangerous right. and twisted and warped, you know? Mm -hmm. So I, the I, voice print, that's sort of the, the moneymaker for you would be that sort of stuff. I think so. Right? Yeah. Okay. Um, I'm curious cause you know, you came down, uh, with the intent of doing on camera work, went into music as well, eventually found your way to voiceover. At what point did SAG play a role in your life? Uh, when did you end up joining SAG? What's your <laughs> st SAG story? Oh, uh, my SAG story. Uh, that's a great way to put it. Um, so I had been hip pocketed at Vox for a period of time. Oh, okay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And um, I wasn't, I mean, I really wasn't, I really wasn't very good. And I think that's why I was hip pocketed. Um, mm -hmm. because I wasn't like, oh, this person's viable talent and they're going to get, it's just a matter of time. I was still mm -hmm. learning how not to, not to be about the sound. Still right. just be who you are and let that come out. Um, but, uh, but Bill Holmes was really good at that. I mean, he was the perfect antidote. He's all, it just, he always is like, I don't believe you. Nope. Fuck you. <laughs> That's the best kind of teacher to have, honestly. Yeah, totally, totally. And that's mm -hmm. exactly what I need. I mean, we all need that. I really needed that. Mm. Just to just bang me down to like, stop, stop with all the like bells and whistles and shiny. Who right. are you? Wh who would, what do you do? He always said, I always had a rapey voice because I would like, I would probably start reading copy like this. Like, <laughs> oh yeah. man, don't put that on your website. Yeah, yeah. That, that's not a good thing. Yeah, Your next rapey voice. But I had to learn how to how to um, imbue my my natural um, um, energy for that. In fact, I when I was bartending, I started teaching a lot of um, a lot of cocktail classes hmm. because I'm of the mind that you whatever you do, however you do it, that's how you do everything. And so when hmm. I was in in the bartending, I learned as much as I could. And so I learned so much. I I knew way more. In fact, when I first got it, when I first started, it's it's funny because like I'm the eldest, so my youngest brothers knew all about how to drink, because <laughs> I was the weird nerd who was just awkward and and silly mm -hmm. and didn't do any of that. I was taping walkie-talkies to my face at 13 while they right. were getting smashed at some house party <laughs> and smoking up the, the the basketball team in the back of the bus. True stories. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and you know that's definitely my brothers <laughs> yeah yeah that's what you do when you're the younger brother you learn from your older brothers they were much better at getting the girls i was horrible at it um mm. so but i but i had to take a class to learn how to bartend i knew nothing i knew nothing i knew nothing when i tell you nothing i knew nothing so i had to have a complete introduction so i got used to needing instruction and just being humbled listen you need to know how to do this but i by the time i started bartending i was like most people didn't have that instruction. They like bartended and like adjusted their pants. Like, I know how to make a Moscow mule mm -hmm. instead of knowing <laughs> how to make a Moscow mule. And it's, and, and what I learned was people, can, people can tell the difference. It's like, you know, our minds have, have evolved over millennia to, mm -hmm. to be bullshit detectors and people mm -hmm. can tell 
when you're lying or when you don't believe what you're saying or you're trying to sell, sell them snake oil or something. People right. know. They're, they don't know exactly, but they know something's off. That ding, 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 something goes off. They're like, mm, I think I'm good. I don't want to buy another lemon. And that's why I think as, as things go forward, people don't want that. That real super announcery guy. Come here, kid. I'm going to buy you a car. Mm-hmm. You know? It's like, right. uh, da, 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 da. I'm, I'm, I'm good. I, I don't think I need that. People want mm-hmm. authenticity. They want real and I learned how to do that teaching these cocktail classes. I, just standing in front of a group of 20 or 50 and being like, here's what I know. And you can know it too because I once knew nothing. And I'm sure you know more than I knew because I knew nothing. And mm-hmm. here's how you balance a cocktail. It's easier than you think. And take them into it. And I learned I loved it. And, and when I loved it, it engendered energy. And, and they grew to love it. Because all the best teachers that I had loved the craft. They loved what they were doing, and it was infectious. And it, and it bled off into me, and I became um, inspired by it also. So, I'm, I mean, I'll say that so much of my instruction was so critical for me. It was so, uh, so life-altering. When I got the right, like we're talking about um, Bill Holmes, and I've had a few others since, just the right antidote, just the right medicine for, for what I needed. And going, oh my God, I would have spun in circles for the rest of my days yeah. if this per- person and, had sh- straightened me out. And there's, a, I don't want to interrupt your your story to to how you you know joined SAG, but uh, one of the other questions I love asking is, you know, if there's something non voiceover related that helped your voiceover career, and this is a perfect answer. The bartending class, you know, it's. Because I think it's important that listeners know that because sometimes you can be so hell bent on I got to take all the voiceover classes and do all this, but you have to also just be open to experiencing and learning from mm, life mm. and letting that find its way into your work as an actor. Um, that's so a that's, great point. I mean, yeah, yeah, you just hit that nail on the head. Um, not to <laughs> not to make a pun on your your construction background. Yes. But, um, <laughs> but yeah, it's. It's so amazing that you're able to learn so much from from that bartending course and teaching it. But yeah, to go. Thank you for putting me back on the rails. To go back to the um, how I got to SAG. So oh sure. So as I was learning and developing um, my sound and how to how to be me, I actually booked very early on um, this thing. It ended up being for Chrysler, and hmm. um, it was so like a radio spot. I didn't know what it was going to be for because it was actually through Trailer Park, who is kind of known for doing mostly trailers and um, um, promo. But sometimes they do this commercial, so it ended up it ended up being for an internal thing. Okay. But uh, but I didn't know, so I was like, the the then agent at Vox calls um, Bill Holmes, who had gotten me the connection, was like, hey, um, it's your it's your guy's turn. They want to hire him, but he's not union yet, so he needs to join. And uh, my, so the, the agent had texted me, and I was like, I was like, oh, okay. Because I knew it was going to be three and a half grand to yeah. join. <laughs> I was like, oh, okay. So is this gig going to be, is it going to be big enough that it either pays for that or at least pays for a big chunk of that? Because mm-hmm. otherwise there's, I, otherwise I can't do it. Right. And then am I ready to compete at that level? Can I, can I continually be um, competitive and book at that? If I'm if I'm SAG and now I'm union and I, I have to turn down other work, mm-hmm. I was like, I don't know, I don't know. And Bill Holmes was like, Listen, um, go for it, buddy. It's just a matter of time now. You just need to go for it. At one point or another, it needs to happen, and now's your chance. Hmm. And he's like, If you don't have the money, um, I'll loan it to you. And I was like, Oh, wow. oh 
man. I actually ended up taking the loan from somebody else, but the fact that he had my back, yeah. I was just like, dude, I mean, who, you know, I'll always give him props for teaching me the ropes and then um, putting his money where his mouth was. I mean, he, yeah, I don't, I, mean, I don't, I don't want to broadcast like that. He'll do that for you. Sign up with him. I had developed a special relationship with him and um, not that anybody can't, but he, but he, he didn't have to do that. He didn't have to have my back like that. And I had met some other really key, key people that had studied with him that had gone on, have gone on to do amazing things. And those people gave me the time of day. I would hit them up and say, Hey man, I know, I know things are busy and you got a lot going on. If you could spare, a, if I could buy you lunch and just ask you a couple of questions, I'd really appreciate it. And they'd show up and they'd tell me, this is what my day is like. This is what I did. This is what I've had to do to get to this point. This is the kind of discipline and vigor. This is what I've had to say no to, ten things in order to say yes to this one thing, and and give me that perspective and be mm -hmm. like, oh my gosh, okay, what, this is not what I thought it was. You know, this is something much, much more um, regimented. And mm -hmm. as we talked about earlier, I was not good at sitting down in the in the quiet of my study and scribing out the answers. Right. I was like, let's go, let's just go. <laughs> so to have to like to have to really be like, listen, there's going to be a lot of time where you're just going to have to learn and rehearse and stumble over your own feet and get up and dust yourself off and go again. Mm -hmm. um, and that was really key and instrumental for me. What a, And I think that was, I mean, you looked at the whole SAC process with a much more mature mindset than maybe a lot of people because it is something to think about because it's a big chunk of money. And um, if you're getting non-union work, once you join SAG, you're competing against all the people that have been SAG for decades and getting all the SAG work. So it can pose its own challenges. And like you said, you would no longer be able to do non-union work. So you want to you want to make sure that you're willing to take that step. Yes. Um, yes. So and does that mean that you were SAG eligible prior to the Chrysler gig? I, I, I had been Taft Hartley a few times through mm. the years okay. that I was acting. So. I think it was my time. I see. Okay. And I mean, by no means, like my path, I think actually, I would, I would say somebody don't do it like I did it. Don't do it like I do it. Mm. I'm an extreme all or nothing maniac. Mm -hmm. And I go about things in a way that's not balanced so much so that I know it's not balanced. I have to go out of my way to find, find ways to balance myself because I'm so hot or so cold. Right. I'm one way I'm on or I'm off and it's not. It's not an easy way to be. It's not a pragmatic way to go about it. I know so many other people that, um, so many, so many of the guests that you've had on. I'm like, that's so much smarter than I would have done it. <laughs> I'm all about like. There was times where I just, I, I didn't, I didn't have any, I didn't have a booth. Mm -hmm. I just had like a microphone. I didn't have any acoustic treated area. Uh, I, I just, I had nothing. So, Bill Holmes, the doctor, he let me go in and, and record and use his booth, and I would sleep there. I would sleep there and sleep in the booth and because I, because I was I was actually way way more nervous than I thought I would be. Hmm. I always thought it was uh, I regarded myself as a rather confident guy, a guy who had the answers when nobody else did. <laughs> right. And it and the booth, the microphone stripped stripped me naked of that. Yeah. I didn't have anything. I felt I felt literally naked and like ooh, <laughs> it just and then it became very self-conscious and self-consciousness is the killer of performance. Yeah. It just, it, you just reek of it when it's on you. 
And I, I had to go through a lot of painstaking cold showers mm-hmm. to like relax, relax and just be who you are and give your performance and let, and know that that's, that's good enough. Mm-hmm. Who you are is good enough. Huge, huge lesson for me. Yeah. And did you, you know, like you said, it's hard for you to find balance and, and be able to come at things with a relaxed state. So what helped you get closer to achieving that? Was it um, certain classes or just the years of dedication that gave you the confidence to know that just you yourself is enough? Yeah. How did you get closer to finding balance? It's a great question because I'm not really sure because I did all of all of what you all the the above what you said and Mm -hmm. and more but i think honestly what it was i i took some classes with um some really key people that really changed it for me um one of them was ek amadi who was also a pupil of bill holmes and he um this is why i this is when i was starting to learn promo because the whole because the thing is is it was laid out before me was listen you need to learn these things in chunks. You can't just learn everything all at once. It's just, it's too much. Mm-hmm. You pick a lane, you learn it, and you master it, and then you move on and expand your lane. Right. So I had, um, I had gotten commercial down well enough that I was like, okay, now it's time for me to move to promo. Because I, 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 um, I thought I would do promo well. And I always thought I would have this promo voice. Mm-hmm. I always thought I would be that guy. Right. It turns out what I do better is like, coming up next is... Is a lot more energy. energy. Yeah. yeah. And I never would have found that if I didn't have instruction. I learned that from Jeff Howell. He showed me a range. I was like, I, I never thought I, I never, I never thought I would do that. <laughs> but, but the time to, to answer your question, the time that I got out of like, cause I would get real tight. I'd get up, I'd be like, okay, it's performance time and take big, huge bellow breaths, like fill in the, and then oh, it would all come out kind of like this, you know, and I'm obviously right. overdoing it. But if you listen to him, you'd be like, yeah, that guy's tight. Mm-hmm. He's not relaxed, not relaxed. He's not, he, um, EK, he's got these big, gigantic hands. He can't, he would come into the booth with me. He would stand behind me and I'd read a line and then he'd say, now wait for me to answer. And he'd go, okay. And he'd put a hand on my shoulder. Now talk to me. And I'd just say a line. He'd go, oh, so what's that mean? And then I'd say a line. Hmm. He'd go, oh, interesting. Tell me more. And then I'd say a line. And then we were having a conversation, just like we normally wow. would have a conversation. Hmm. And, I, and believe me, the, the synaptic nerves just <laughs> and all this energy, all the electricity. I was like, oh, my God, I get it. I get it. Hmm. And I, but I needed that, that kinetic physical somebody to um sort of disarm me yeah yeah Mm -hmm. and be like okay now just talk to me because the microphones the microphone's doing all the work and which is what makes you feel naked it you can hear you blink it hears you here's your 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 hair grow Mm -hmm. here's everything it knows everything so you got to be just real you got to be real af and Mm -hmm. and totally all the way to the bone or, it, or it, it reeks, it comes out, you can, you can feel it and sense it. And yeah. I had a lot of that to shed. That wraps up part one with the amazing Aliyah Mountjoy. There's so much great advice on this episode, including tip number one, 
Check your feelings. If you feel good while auditioning, your read will be way more fun and free and you will book a billion more gigs. Do not quote me on that. Two, the ear can tell when you're trying to sell snake oil with showy bells and whistles in a performance. So be willing and excited to find the truth and vulnerability within yourself. And three, pay attention to what you love and explore that impulse. Too often we spend time on what's expected of us or what's realistic. But if you're honest about what you love, you'll find a way to make that dream realistic. And on that note, may all you voice actors keep acting up. <laughs>